<laughs> good morning, good morning. Isn't the Lord good? Amen. Amen. Say this with me. I know God is good. Say it like you mean it. I know God is good. And I know His Word is truth. Amen. Not true, but truth. Jesus said in John 17, Father, Thy Word is truth. I know we live in America today where people don't believe in absolute truth anymore. But this missionary still believes in absolute truth. And I realized as a teenager when I found that scripture in John 17, 17, when Jesus said, Father, thy word is truth, I realized at that point, if I can find it in this book, I can take it to the bank. I can make it work. Amen. So our, 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 our grounding, our, our, our rooting, our anchor, uh, our stability, uh, our foundation is the word of God. We always go to the word find out what the word says. Isn't that a good song, I'm a covenant woman? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. I'm a covenant man, but I like this song, covenant woman. Janny Grind wrote that song. Janny was a dear friend of ours. Jan um, I'm so sad that I go around sometimes today and say, oh, remember that song Janny wrote? And they say, who? And I always feel bad about it because there was a time when she, her name was a household word in, in charismatic circles and word of faith circles and, you know, and churches sang so many of her songs and, and she's in heaven today and and, and her husband Bill, and they were just dear friends. First time I ever met them, or first time I ever heard of them, uh, one day I, I got a, my doorbell rang, and I went to the door, and uh, there's this couple standing there. And, uh, that don't work. And uh, they, said, uh, they said, are you Terry Mize? And I said, uh, yes, I am. Sorry. New Te technology is not your strong suit. No. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You're, 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 you're good. I was just thinking, though, that you're not near as big as I am. You don't look near, near as far along as, as I do. But, uh, but anyway, they said, are you Terry Mize? And I said, I am. And they said, well, I'm Jenny Grind. This is my husband, Bill. And they said, we were just with, in Houston with John Osteen. And that's Joel's daddy, if y'all that don't know. Brother Osteen was great, great, great man of God and a spiritual father of ours. And, uh, and, and I said, yeah, well, how, can I help you? And they said, yeah, we were, we were just with uh, Brother Osteen, and we, we were begging him to teach us to have miracles. And he said, if you want to learn how to have miracles, you need to go see Terry Mize and learn from him. So they showed up at my house and stayed three days. And, uh, and we just became fast friends and until, until they both went to heaven a number of years ago. But uh, she just wrote some powerful, wonderful, marvelous songs. A couple of her songs, Brother Copeland sang and recorded. And, uh, and uh, a bunch of other people, you know, did. I remember uh, when she wrote Red on the Water, I think the... Uh, who was it? The Oak Ridge Boys and a whole bunch of other people did did that song and and uh, two songs. She wrote one called More Than Conquerors that she got when I was preaching on more than being more than conquerors. And uh, then she wrote another one called The Missionary Song, and she got that and wrote it whenever she was at a missions conference where I was preaching missions. So we just uh, we go back a long way, and I always love it when uh, Renee sings one of her one of her songs. So anyway, we're glad to be here. It's always fun to be with you guys and be with uh, these guys over here and, and the girls. And, and uh, so it's always a pleasure. Tomorrow we're going to be ministering at Foothill 
family church uh, with uh, Mike and Beth, although they're not going to be there. And uh, I, I told Mike some numbers of times, I said, I'm not sure if you like me or not, because uh, you tend to have me cover for you when, I'm, when you're out of town or when you're on an Israel trip or vacation or something. So I said, I said maybe you just don't like to see me. I don't know. But, uh, but anyway, they'll be back tomorrow night. We're going to have lunch on Monday. But uh, uh, it's always, uh, always great to minister here and minister there. And, and uh, we're in California here for the month of June. We start out in El Centro, where it was hotter than blue blazers. And uh, although I was surprised because it's high desert, it cooled off at night. And uh, then we came from there to San Diego, where it was very cool. And then we went from there to Visalia, which was miserable hot. And then over to Porterville, which was miserable hot. And the difference there between there and El Centro is it doesn't cool off at night. It just stays miserable hot. And then back here, and y'all can't figure out what your temperature's doing right now. But uh, and then Monday we go back to Visalia for a three-day meeting, so we're back in the heat again, and then up to Portland, Oregon, where the folks are trying to burn, tear down everything, and have been for the last year. So that nonsense needs to uh, needs to stop. But anyway, I'm happy to be here. Glad to be here. We're excited about what God is doing. Uh, remember, I've told you this before, but remember we have a YouTube program. Uh, if you just go to, to YouTube, if you don't know how to do that, get a grandchild to do it. Uh, but if you'll go to YouTube and just, just type in Terry Myers Ministries, uh, I'd appreciate it if you'd subscribe. It doesn't cost anything. It's free, uh, but it makes YouTube feel better. If you'll subscribe, it makes them think we're important. And uh, we put up a new program every Thursday. Uh, it's also on a thing called Rumble and a thing called Light Source, and it's also on my Facebook page. And blah 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 but you can find us a lot of different places but we 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 put out the goods every thursday i mean we talk about missions and miracles and we talk about the word and teach faith and and uh, talk politics and and uh, although i don't know that we talk politics so much as we do bible and how how politicians have messed that up and how they need to and how they need to fix it amen but anyway we're uh, uh, don't don't forget that don't forget you can find us there and and get good word there all the time and uh, we uh, certainly enjoy ministering the word of god um let's pray father in the name of jesus thank you for your word this morning thank you for this gathering together where we can come and worship your name and study your word and look into the perfect law of liberty we can look into your word we can gain access to your throne room and understand your heart, your desire, your plan, your purpose, your vision, your dream. And Father, you did have a dream when you started this thing, and we're the only ones that can fulfill your That's dream. Right. Right. We're the ones that you look to to fulfill the thing that you're using your faith for. We always think about how we're using our faith, and we need a new this or a new that or another something else. But you're also using your faith for something, and you look to us to fulfill that. And we thank you for it, and we give you glory, honor, majesty, praise, dominion, and believe you to minister to us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. You know, you only use your faith for something you don't have. If you've got $100, you don't believe God for $100. But if you don't have $100 and need $100, you use your faith for it. And you ask God to provide it. If you don't have a car, you ask God to provide it. If you don't have a house, you use your faith for your house. If you don't, you can't have a baby, you ask God to bless you and give you a baby. You, you, ask, you believe God and use your faith for something that you don't have. You don't use your faith for something you have. 
And so we don't think about God using his faith, but God is using his faith and has been for a long, long time. And you say, well, what is it he doesn't have? The only thing he doesn't have, I mean, he paves his streets with gold. He builds his gates out of out of precious stones and you know I mean what is it he doesn't have well the one thing he wants the one thing he desires the one thing he does not have is souls God's using his faith for souls and the church used to know that I'm not sure the church knows that anymore you know uh, so many times people ask me today they say brother Terry the church doesn't seem she seems to be wondering and she seems to be uh, rambling and, 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 and lost and I said well the church doesn't any longer know why she's here she really doesn't know why she's here. And I really believe the reason she doesn't know why she's here, Eli, is because she forgot why Jesus came. See, Jesus was an on-purpose, on-purpose ministry. He was on purpose. Everything he did was on purpose. He didn't do anything accidentally. And he came to earth on purpose. The purpose was, he said, to seek and save that which is lost. And we forget that. We forget what his mission was. But if, if, if they call us Christian, meaning Christ-like one, we're named after him. He's the Christ. We're the Christ-like one. Well, if that's true, and it is, then his mission should be our mission. His vision should be our vision. His purpose should be our purpose. His job should be our job. His desire should be our desire. We should be here to fulfill his desire and fulfill his dream. Is that right? And you know, all the people in the Bible, I mean, Old Testament and New, all the folks in the Bible uh, knew why Jesus came, but I think the church today has forgotten why he came and that he was, in fact, on purpose. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 1 and verse 15, and he said, Timothy, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. See, Paul knew why Jesus came. Paul had no doubt. He had no he had no no problems knowing why Jesus came and therefore what he was supposed to be doing. And he and he was an old apostle and he was training this young pastor named Timothy up. And so he wrote to Timothy and said, Son, I don't want you to forget why Jesus came. I don't want you to forget why Jesus I don't want you to forget your purpose. I don't want forget what I don't want you to forget what this is all about. He said, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And then John wrote in John uh, chapter 3 and verse 5 that he, he was manifest to take away our sins. So John knew why he came. Paul knew why he came. The writer of Hebrews, nobody's ever figured out who wrote the book of Hebrews, but whoever did was filled with the Holy Ghost, inspired of the Holy Ghost, and wrote some good stuff. But the writer of Hebrews in chapter 9 and verse 26 says, He appeared to put away sin. That was the purpose Jesus came for. And, and they expressed that very plainly there in Hebrews 9. He appeared to put away sin. Amen. And in John 129, in the, in, in, in the gospel of John, uh, even John the Baptist knew why Jesus came. And as Jesus walked down toward the water where John was baptizing, John made that powerful and famous statement and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Look. It's the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. Hallelujah. So John the Baptist knew why Jesus came. Paul knew why Jesus came. John knew why Jesus came. The writer of Hebrews knew why Jesus came. Isn't that right? Again, John chapter 3 and verse 8 says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. See, he was, Jesus was so on purpose. And I think the church today doesn't know what her purpose is. Are we just gathering to gather? 
Are we just here to, you know, have sloppy agape and hug each other's necks? They don't even let us hug necks anymore, you know, just can't shake hands anymore. You know what I mean? It's just crazy. What, what are, what's the church meeting for? What are we here for? What what are we about? What are we doing? You know, so many of us think it's just supposed to be great, great, great teaching. Oh, te- and I love teaching. I teach the Word, and I love to be taught the Word, but that's not the purpose. Amen? Our purpose is to do what Jesus came to do. His purpose is our purpose. His mission is our mission. His vision is our vision. His dream is our dream. His his function is our function. His, he... he he absolutely was on purpose, and everybody in the Bible knew it, and the church used to know it, and we're going to have to get back to understanding why he came. Jesus himself knew why he came. He said uh, in Luke chapter 19, he said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. There's no, there's no ambiguity about that. There's no gray about that. There's no, I wonder what he really meant. No, he said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. That's what I'm here for. And he would not deter from that. He wouldn't turn from that. And he wasn't willing to saturate one area with the gospel at the expense of another. Because he preached over there in chapter in chapter 4 of Luke, uh, and he did a good job, and the people really liked it. And so they came to him the next day and said, Hey, Jesus, you did a good job over there preaching. You, how about come back and do us some more? And he said, No, I must go to the next cities also, for thereunto am I sent. He knew he couldn't just saturate one area, stay in one area, stop at one place, and just saturate that with the gospel while this part goes without. He said, no, no, I must go to the next cities also, for thereunto am I sent. He knew he was sent. He knew he was a soldier under command. He wasn't here to do his will. He said, I didn't come to do my will, but I came to do the will of the Father. He said, I don't even say what I want to say. I say what I hear the Father say. I don't do what I want to do. I do what I see the Father do. He was always so absolutely on purpose. And see, the church has got to get back to being on purpose so we know why we're here. If a church is on purpose, they get bored. Pastors that are on purpose get bored. There's nothing more dangerous than a bored pastor unless it's a bored congregation. And if a pastor's bored and he starts preaching on holidays and clothes, and especially women's clothes, let's keep the women in line. And if the, and if the church is, is bored, then they start looking around saying, well, I wonder who, I wonder who said they could buy that piano. I wonder, I wonder why they changed the color of their carpet. Nobody asked me. I wonder, I wonder, how, I wonder if the pastor's wife's spending too much money. I wonder, I wonder what... Uh, and they get bored and they start looking around finding things to find fault with. Yet if we all come in there on purpose, then we come to seek and save that which is lost. We come to get the word and go out and get the job done. That we came to destroy the works of the devil. That we're here to put away sin. That we're here to be about the master's business. We're here to fulfill the great commission. Then uh, it eliminates all that church-isms and schisms and fighting and boredness and it gives us a job to do. We all come together, get together, hear the word and go out and get the job done. Amen. That's right. And that's what we need to do and be about is the master's business. Hallelujah. Are y'all here? Yeah. Right. Uh, let me give you a couple, of, a couple of good words right here, but <clears throat> excuse me, but I uh, 
I, I don't want to get stuck. It, it, yeah. Renee told me to be pulled up. She said, don't preach too long because they'll be hot. So uh, I don't want you to get hot. But if you go to hell, you'll be hotter. And if you don't rescue some folks, they're going to hell where it is hot. But let me, let me just give you some, some uh, high points of some sermons that I've preached for a long, long time that I, that I preach <laughs> for a long, long time because they've got a lot of information in them. But uh, let, me give you, let me give you something here this morning that I, call, that I call three missionary calls. I know when I'm here, usually I preach faith to you, and I usually tell you some miracles, testimonies, and stuff like that. But uh, I think it's time the church get back to purpose. Amen. Renee and I were doing an outside YouTube thing the other day, and a train came through, and we found out we were close to a train track. Three missionary calls. And like I said, I usually preach faith to you, usually preach, you know, exciting stuff, and tell you about miracles and casting out witch doctors and devils out of witch doctors and raising the dead and open blind eyes and stuff, and that's all good. But I think we need to get back to, to purpose, and our purpose is the same purpose of Jesus. Jesus himself is talking in Luke chapter 16. And uh, in Luke chapter 16, starting at uh, verse 15, uh, or excuse me, starting at verse 19, Jesus tells us a true story. Uh, sometimes Jesus talked talk to us in parables. Sometimes he talked to us in analogies, metaphors. Uh, but this is not a parable. This is not a metaphor. This is not, this is not an analogy. This is a true, absolutely true story. And it's a terrible story. It's a horrible story. It's a terrorizing story. It's, it's, it's more scary than anything Hollywood can come up with. It's, it's more terrifying than anything Stephen King could write uh, because it's a true story. And uh, Jesus said there was a certain rich man. Say certain. Anytime you find in the Bible it says certain, that tells you it's a true story. You know, Jesus told some stories. He said, uh, well, it's like a, it, 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 it's like a seed. It's like a mustard seed. It's like a pearl of great price. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. It's, it's like this, and it's like that, and it's compared to this. But here, he's not liking it to anything. He said, there was a certain man. And that, and that tells you this is a real guy. This is a real story. This is a real, real person. And he said, there was a certain rich man. Nothing wrong with the guy being rich, okay? Don't, don't, don't get hung up on that. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar. That's that word certain again. This beggar was a real person. We know his name. His name was Lazarus. And so there, he, there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was at, laid at his gate, laid at the gate of the rich man every day, and he was full of sores. And he desired to be fed of the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. And moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died. We all going to die. Isn't that right? It came to pass. Y'all didn't agree with that? <laughs> the, the beggar died and, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was what? Buried. The rich man also died and his body was buried. We're a three-part being. We are a spirit. We have a soul and we live in a body. I've often said, I mean, for decades and decades around the world, I've preached that our body is, is our earth suit. Just like, a, just like an astronaut has to have a space suit to live in space, and if he gets a hole in it, uh, he'll die. 
Well, this is our space suit. This is our Earth suit. And it's our citizenship for living on planet Earth. If you don't have a body, you can't live here. Isn't that right? And once you don't have a body anymore, once your body doesn't work, then you have to move somewhere for eternity. And you'll either move to heaven or to hell. There's only two places. There's not eight or ten choices. I mean, your only two choices are heaven and hell. And, uh, and so if your earth suit gets a hole in it, or gets broken, or gets messed up, or bleeds out, then uh, then you can't live here anymore. And so this rich man died just like the beggar died, but where the beggar's uh, soul and spirit were taken to, to Abraham's bosom, the rich man, they buried his body, but Jesus said he went to hell. You know, Eli, a lot of Christians don't believe in hell anymore. A lot of Christians don't believe in hell. And I've had them tell me, now, Brother Terry, I don't believe in hell. And I said, well, you're, you're sure going to be disappointed one of these days uh, because it's real and you don't want to go there. Isn't that right? And a lot of people don't believe there's any fire in hell. They just think that's all fairy tales. No, no, no. Listen to what Jesus said. How many of y'all think Jesus knew what he's talking about? Listen to what Jesus said. It says, And the rich man died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in what? Torments. Plural. Torments. Plural. Lift up his eyes being in torments, and he sees Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Y'all still with me? Second time he uses the word torment. All right. But Abraham said, Son, Remember, you in your lifetime received good things, and likewise, uh, likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are what tormented. Third time he uses that word. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so they which would pass from thence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So then the rich man said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren. Send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may what? Testify unto them. See, he knew what needed to be happening. When you get to hell, you get real smart. <laughs> and this guy in hell, all of a sudden, now he knows what needed to be done. All right? And he said, send, send him, send Lazarus back to my father's house. I've got five brothers. Let, let him testify to them lest they come to this place of what? Torment. Fourth time. Fourth time he uses that horrible, horrible word. Abraham said, Son, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the church and the word. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, they will what? Repent. He knew exactly what they needed to do. Somebody needs to go testify to them so they'll repent. And if they repent, then they won't come to this horrible place of torment. See, we've got friends. You've got friends, relatives, people that you live on your block, people live next door to you, people you work with, people that you know, maybe family, that if, if somebody doesn't testify to them and they don't repent, then when they die, and they will die, then they're going to go to that place of torment, and it's forever and ever 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 and ever. This is real serious. Are y'all Are y'all with me? But I tell you, this isn't a fun sermon. No, it's not. It sure is fun when you get somebody saved. 
Now, see, we're living in a day to day whether they're pushing down our throats this thing called political correctness, which is from hell. The same, I'm convinced, Renee and I are convinced, the same demon that invented political correctness also invented the seeker sensitive church. It's neither one of them are of God. And we have to understand that, that they tell us all the time don't offend people, don't tell them they're in sin. Don't tell them what they're doing is wrong. Don't tell them Buddha won't work. Don't tell them Islam won't work. Don't tell them Mohammed won't work. Don't tell them Hinduism and the 330 million gods of Hinduism won't work. Don't tell them Buddha won't work. Don't tell them atheism doesn't work. Don't tell them Shintoism doesn't work. Don't, don't tell them they're going to hell. Well, if you don't, then they're going to go to that place of torment. And if you think it's going to offend them now for you to tell them they're doing wrong, they're going to be real offended for eternity saying, why didn't they tell me? Why didn't they tell Why didn't they care enough to tell me? Amen. 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 They have the church and the word. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, no, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. Same second time. And then he said to him, Abraham said back to him, If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, if they don't hear the church and the word, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So what are we saying here? We're saying this is a missionary call from hell. A missionary call from hell. Now, you know, <clears throat> all the depictions we have of hell in the world uh, is always, it's not so bad. You know, we have cartoons for little kids, and they show people in hell, and they're partying, and they're playing, and they're, you know, having fun. And, and we, we see these movies, we see these TV shows, and, you know, and somebody says, you know, go to hell, and then the guy says, I'll see you there, or I'll, you know, I'll beat you there, or I'll wait for you when I get there. And, you know, and they act like you actually might want to go there. Are y'all here? But notice something about this rich man that's in hell. Notice something about him. Notice that when you're in hell, see, we get this dumb idea over the years, thinking that when you're in heaven, you're just kind of a gaseous blob floating around on a little, you're just a little angel floating around on a little cloud, and you got your harp, and you're playing your harp, and then we think, well, when you go to hell, you're just this, you know, blob, blob. No, 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 it's really you. It's really you that goes to heaven, and it's really you that goes to hell. Real people. And notice that this guy still has all his faculties. Notice that this guy has his eyesight. He sees Father Abraham. He hears Father Abraham. He talks to Father Abraham. He's got all his faculties. He remembers Lazarus. He knows who he is. He wants him sent back to his father's house to testify. He's thirsty. He's hot. He's tormented in the flame. So he's still got all of his faculties that he had on earth. And he's got one thing else, one something else that he has that we never think of about people in hell, and that is that he has a great, great desire that nobody else come there. Now in our movies and our cartoons, we, they're always wanting somebody to come with them. Oh, come on down, let's party. I remember when Frank Sinatra died. Y'all remember old Blue Eyes? 
I remember when Frank, Frank Sinatra, and I'm not Frank Sinatra's judge. I don't know where he is. He's either in hell or heaven. There's only two choices, but I didn't know the man. But, but I remember when he died. And when he died, I remember the bunch of, at his funeral, uh, a bunch of reporters were there, and they were sticking microphones in people's faces. And I remember they stuck the microphone in somebody's face, I don't remember which celebrity it was, and said, what do you think about, uh, uh, about Frank right now? And he said, well, I'll just tell you, wherever Frank is right now, he's the life of the party. And he's hosting right now, he's, he's, he's hosting the Jack Daniels, and uh, everybody's having a great time. And I just thought, you fool. You fool. Number one, I don't know if he's in heaven or hell, but if he either place, he's not the life of the party. Because in heaven, Jesus is the life of the party. And in hell, there's not a party. And in neither place is there any Jack Daniels. But how stupid we are. How stupid people are if they're not grounded in the Word. Isn't that amazing? Did you ever notice nobody in Hollywood goes to hell? Seriously. Watch it on TV all the time. Every time a celebrity dies, whether it's a music singer or, a, or, a, or a, 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 an actor or, or anybody famous, some politician, some, you know, sports, whoever, whatever. Every time, every time somebody dies, at their funeral, they always talk about, well, they're looking down on us right now. Well, they're in heaven. Well, they're... Nobody ever goes to hell. But the reality is, they do go to hell. Amen. Amen. And we need to understand that. I remember when Michael Jackson died, and again, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't know Michael, and I'm not his judge. I don't know where he is today. Uh, I hope he's in heaven. Uh, but I was in, in Russia, no, I was in Ukraine preaching. And it came on television there, and I watched it because it was in English. It was the only thing on TV that was in English. And, uh, and so I was watching it, and it lasted over several days, the news, and then up to the funeral, and so on and so forth. And then I remember I, I was there watching the funeral, and, uh, and everybody got up and talked about Michael being in heaven and how great a guy he was. He was the greatest guy on the planet, and he was the king of pop, and he was this, and he was that. And, that. and I thought, when I left the States, they all hated him and said he is a pervert and a child molester and had him downtown Los Angeles in court. Remember he showed up in his pajamas to court? I mean, they all thought he was a nut and insane and a pervert, and, but, but the instant he died, he becomes a saint. Well, that may be Hollywood's mentality, but that's not what the Bible says. And then I remember at his funeral, Eli, they had all these people getting up talking about it. And then some little goofy, dumb actress that was dating him, uh, Brooke Shields, I think her name was. His name What did I call him? Eli. Well, they go, he, everybody calls him Eli. <laughs> Wake up, Renee. <laughs> Clarissa called him Pastor Eli a while ago. His name is Elisha. Now, don't you forget that. I will. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you. <laughs> I love and um, Brooke Shields stood up at his funeral, and she's up there crying, you know, and she says, I don't know where Michael is right now, but I know that he's right this moment. He's sitting on a crescent moon and smiling down at us. And I'm in Ukraine saying, Dummy, he's not on a crescent. We believe in the man in the moon. I don't know where Michael is, but he's not on a crescent moon. He's either in hell or he's in heaven, but he's not on a crescent moon. But but that mentality. But but notice that any time somebody dies, 
everybody gets very, very eternity-minded and very spiritual-minded, very heaven-minded. In fact, just go to any cemetery. You just go around that cemetery and there's crosses, there's doves, there's angels. Isn't that right? I mean, there's just all kinds of symbol lambs. Uh, uh, scriptures, you got the apostles' garden, and you got the—I mean, you just got all these spiritual things in the cemetery because people get eternity minded. In fact, that's one of the easiest times for you to win souls is when somebody dies, because everybody's thinking about eternity. And in fact, it's—it's—it's it's, it's the easiest time to win souls if a celebrity dies, because everybody knows it. I was here in the, I was here preaching in town when Whitney Houston died, you know, and all and that's all anybody wanted to talk about the next couple of weeks, and it's just so easy just be in a cafe or a restaurant and and a little waitress waitress comes over to the table and uh, and and you just look at her and say, isn't that awful that Whitney Houston died? Oh yeah, it's just so terrible. I saw it on TV and I'm good. I mean, if it's a police officer that dies, that everybody knows it. A fireman that died, that everybody knows. This this condo destruction in Florida right now, where they're still missing 159 people and people are dead. People are going to be spiritual minded, and it's an easy. And you could go in anywhere in Miami in the next few days and, and just say to anybody at a store, at a cafe, or anywhere else, say, "Isn't that awful? What just happened in that condo?" And immediately you you, you they open the conversation. And then I just follow that and say, do you ever give much thought to spiritual things? Isn't that awful that Whitney died? Isn't that awful that Michael died? Isn't that awful that old Blue Eyes died? Isn't that awful about that condo? Isn't that awful about that earthquake? Isn't that awful about that, about this, about that, about that? Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that just terrible? Oh, yeah, it's just horrible. It's awful. It's awful. Well, you know, it made me think, do you ever give much thought to spiritual things? Because we're all going to die. And you go right into soul in it. It's just the easiest time for you to win souls is when somebody dies because immediately people get eternity minded and heaven minded but they don't have knowledge so their 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 ideas of it are all fouled up because they get their ideas from Hollywood and from movies and TV and and all that nonsense and we have to go back to the word to find out what the truth is Amen. 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 You know, I remember when Princess Di died. Y'all remember when Princess Di died? I was preaching in Charlotte, North Carolina when that happened. And I'll tell you what, I said, Clarissa, I sat glued to the TV that night for three hours while they were trying to get her out of that car and prayed for her for three hours. Oh, God. Oh, God, don't let her go to hell. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Talk to her. Speak to her. Save her, Lord. Save her. And, and after three hours, I got her out and she's dead. Now... I'm not her judge. I didn't know her. Hopefully, hope to God she called on God and she's in heaven today. But, but, here's the kicker that people get messed up with. You don't get to go to heaven just because you're a princess or just because you're the beautiful people or just because you're rich or just because you're famous. And we need to understand that because there's a great misconception that you get to go to heaven. I mean, everybody can tell you princess dies in heaven. Well, I hope she is, but she may not be. The only way she could be in heaven is if she recognized Jesus as the Son of God and called on him as her Savior. Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that right? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. Are, are you all here?
Amen. So I hope to God she did. But you know, the next two or three days, I, I caught a news report as I was there in Charlotte and going about my business. I caught some dumb little ignorant news reporter woman. And she said, the reason Princess died, died is because God needed a princess in heaven. I was yelling at the TV. Oh yeah, Jesus isn't good enough. He needs the princess. He got he to gotta kill princess, die. Come on, give me a break. And then one week later, one week later, Mother Teresa died. And that same stupid reporter came on and said, the reason Mother Teresa died is because God needed a guide for Princess Di to show her around. And I'm yelling at the TV. But you know what? I'm not, I'm not Mother Teresa's judge. I didn't know the lady. She did a lot of good. She helped the poor. But was she born again? You don't get to go to heaven just because you help the poor, just because you're a nice person, just because you're a Catholic nun. You don't get to go to heaven because you go to a Pentecostal church, a Baptist church, a Methodist church. You go to heaven because you call on Jesus and accept him as your Lord and Savior. Amen. I hope Princess dies in heaven. I hope Mother Teresa's in heaven. I hope Frank Sinatra's in heaven. I hope Michael Jackson's in heaven. I don't, I'm a missionary. I don't want anybody to go to hell. Amen. But Jesus said, remember Jesus? Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the resurrection. I'm the door. And no man gets to the Father but by me. Now, I had a bunch of friends, good people, good preacher friends of mine. I mean, people you would know. They were just mistaken. Got us started preaching a numbers of years ago. They started preaching this thing called dual covenants. Dual covenant. They said, they said uh, the Gentiles have a covenant, but the Jews have a covenant. And they said Jews don't need Jesus to go to heaven. Well, that sounds good. It's just not Bible. And they were preaching that, confusing a lot of people. I mean, good people. I'm not talking about bad people. I'll tell you when the preacher's bad. I'll just say, hey, it's a bad guy. But no, these are good people. They're just wrong. So I went to them. And I said, um, let me talk to you about this dual covenant thing you're preaching. All right? I said, uh, who was Jesus talking to? When he stood up and said, I'm the truth, the way, the life, the resurrection, the door, and no man gets to the Father but by me. He was talking to Jews. You know right? I mean, I wish what they were preaching is true. I wish what Oprah preaches is true. But it's not. Do you know the USA Today over a number of years has said that Oprah Winfrey is the pastor of America and the spiritual guru of America? They've proclaimed her that over and over and over again. And again, I'm not Oprah's judge. I don't know the lady. I just see some things she's done. She does a lot of charitable work and a lot of philanthropic things and some nice stuff. But, but you know, that's not good enough to get you to heaven. Right. And I've heard her sermons. And I think she's a nice lady, but she's not my pastor. And I've heard the sermon she preaches, and y'all have too if you watched her any at all. She says, you just serve any deity you want to serve, and you'll be okay. Now, that'll take you to hell. Yeah. That'll take you to hell, and she'll be responsible for it. Because Jesus said, I'm the only way. 
there's only one way. Now, Ogre says, nope, nope. Any deity you want to serve, you just serve that one and you'll be all right. Several years ago, they gave a survey to uh, young people in all over America, and 80% of American youth that took the survey said they believed that there's many roads, many paths to God. Well, I'm a missionary. I would love to believe that. I wish that were true. When I go to India and I see those Hindus, they've got 330 million gods, I just cry. I say, oh, God, I don't want them to go to hell. Oh, God, don't let them go to hell. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, help me preach Jesus. I don't want them to go to hell. But there's only one way. When I'm in Buddhist lands, I say, oh, God, I don't want these people to go to hell. When I'm in Japan with the Shintoists, I God, I don't want these people to go to hell. You know, in, in Islam land, oh, God, I don't want them to go to hell. But there's only one way. There's only one door. And we, the church, have got to preach Jesus to them. No matter how politically incorrect it is, no matter how offensive it is, we are the only ones that have the truth. Amen. Amen. And you don't get to go to heaven just because you're rich or famous or beautiful or a princess or a nun. I had a group of teenagers with me in Jamaica. I had some kids from your church with me in Jamaica. Whenever uh, uh, the, the Saturday the Saturday morning that John uh, Kennedy Jr. died in a plane crash. And I always liked him. I thought, I mean, people my age and older, all you gray-headed folks, you remember, we remember him standing at three years old and saluting his daddy's casket whenever they buried President Kennedy. We, we've watched him grow up. And he seemed to me, again, I didn't know him or any of the other Kennedys, but he seemed to me like he's just kind of the best of the bunch. Just a good-looking kid and just a nice kid. And, you know, I mean, I just always liked him. I was always pulling for him. Come on, John, John, you know. And, uh, and, and, and that morning in Jamaica, I got up early that morning because, like I said, I had a bunch of teenagers with me, about 50, 60 teenagers with me from America teaching them to, teach them to win souls. And I woke up that morning and I, and I flipped on the television and, and they said that the, he had gone down in a plane crash. He's a pilot, or, or a young pilot, a just starting out pilot. And I'm a pilot, so that always catches my ear. If I hear of a crash, I always say, what? What happened? And uh, the first thing I thought when they said that, I thought of this scripture. I thought the rich man died, and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment. Now, I hope he's not in hell. I hope he's not in hell. I hope he's in heaven. But you don't get to go to heaven just because you're Camelot just because your daddy's president. And we, we tend to forget that. We tend to think this is a social gospel. But it's not. Amen. 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 A missionary call from hell saying, please, please don't let anybody else come here. Please don't let my brothers come here. Please don't let my friends come here. Please don't let anybody else come here. That ought to motivate the church. And then Acts chapter 16. <clears throat> Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 9, verse 9 and 10. A vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia, and prayed to him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul's asleep, 
mind his own business, and he has a vision of a man from Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is a province. Like, we have states in America, but like Canada has provinces, and Australia has provinces, other places have provinces, and, and Macedonia was a, was a province. And in that province of Macedonia, there was a city called Philippi. It's like we have Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, we are, are, are you know, Los Angeles, California. Then we have, uh, we have Philippi, Macedonia. And so here's this man from Macedonia, most likely everybody thinks he's from Philippi, and he, he says to Paul in this vision, please come over here and help us. And the Bible says immediately we left and went to Macedonia. You know, Paul had a vision at midnight, I mean they left at 6 a.m. Most church people today, most Christians today, if God told them to go to the mission fields or go to Africa or India or here or there or wherever, it'd take them 10 years to get rid of the stuff they got. You know, well, the kids are in school. I can't go. Well, I bought a cow. I can't go. Well, I bought a house. I can't go. Well, I got a job. I can't go. Well, I've got a car payment. I can't go. You know, that's what they told him at the wedding, wasn't it? He invited them to the wedding there in the New Testament. They said, oh, I can't come. I, I married a wife. I bought a cow. Married a cow. Bought a wife. Same thing. Who cares? It's just one, one excuse is as dumb as the other. Isn't that right? But he had a vision at midnight and left at 6 a.m. Now, most Bible scholars believe, I believe it too, although we don't know this, but we'll find out when we get to heaven. We'll ask him. But uh, most people, but most Bible scholars believe that the guy he saw was the jailer in Philippi that whenever Paul went there to preach, they beat him and put him in prison and then God sent an angel and broke him out of jail and then the jailer was going to kill himself and Paul said, don't do yourself any harm, we're still here and then they went over to his house and started a church which became the church at Philippi and most people think that's the guy he saw in the vision, doesn't matter if it is or isn't and we'll ask him when we get there, we'll say, are you that guy? But, uh, but the thing about it is, you know that made me think of something when I said God broke him out of jail. During this pandemic thing, Christians have been so dumb, and uh, and the church folded like a cheap suit, and uh, and so many Christians have gone up to their pastors and been mad at their pastors and said, Pastor, I had a guy just the other day said to their pastor, said, How can what are we going to tell our grandchildren and our children that our pastor is breaking the law by going to church? And I stood up in their church and preached, not knowing he said that. I stood up in the church and preached. And I said, some of you people are worried about breaking the law by coming to church. So I want you to know that, that you need to read the Old Testament. And you need to read the New Testament. That everybody, they broke the law constantly, continuously to preach the gospel. And when they broke the law to preach, and they, get, they brought them together and said, we're going to put you in prison if you don't stop preaching that. We forbid you to preach in the name of Jesus. Then they said to him, well, we ought to obey God rather than man. And you do what you need to do. And then when they put them in prison, Clarissa, God broke the law and broke them out. I mean, when they put them in prison, God would do a jailbreak. So God's breaking the law. You know, I, I had to really deal with this, uh, Eli, whenever I was a kid and God called me to mission bills. I had to really, really deal with this because I told the Lord, I said, you know, Father, you, you told me to be a missionary, and I'm going to go all over the world. And I started in Mexico, and, and just my very presence in Mexico as a missionary is illegal. It's illegal to be a missionary in Mexico. And the stuff I bring into Mexico, it's illegal. And everything I do is illegal. My very presence, when I stand up to preach, it's illegal. Then I started having a meeting in the Hilton Hotel in Guadalajara, and I had, I had missionary friends. My brother Wayne told me, he said, son, you can't do that. 
said they'll, they'll arrest you and, and nationalize the Hilton Hotel as a government building because the, the Constitution of Mexico reads, says that there will be no religious services held in any building other than a state-owned church. So you, you can't do a, a hotel meeting. You can't do a home meeting. You can't do a school meeting. It has to be in a state-owned church. But I did it anyway. I was one of the first missionaries in Mexico ever ever to do that. It was illegal to put, put gospel advertising in the newspaper, but I did it. It was illegal to put it on television, but I did it. It was illegal to put it in the newspaper, but I did it. And so I had to ask the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm breaking the law all the time. And I said, I, I've got to come to grips with this because you're supposed to obey the laws of the land. And I said, you know, I, I'm in so many lands that I can't keep all the laws of all the lands. And, and I, so finally, I, and I really wrestled with it. And so finally, here's what I came up with, and I still live by today, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm right, y'all can tell me. But uh, the decision I came up with, I said, Father, I will, I will always abide by the laws unless it, it, conf it conflicts with me preaching the gospel. And I won't ever break the laws to, for my own personal gain. Because I knew missionaries that would bring stuff into Mexico and sell it, <clears throat> which is illegal, it's contraband. Uh, but they'd sell it to make money to, to do stuff. And I knew guys that, man, I tell you when, I remember the year they invented microwave ovens. I, the missionaries were bringing microwaves to Mexico and selling them. And I remember when color, t color TVs first came out and they were bringing them to Mexico and selling them. And I had missionaries try to <clears throat> try to get me to do that. And I thought, no, I won't, I won't do that. I even had a guy try to leave a bunch of, uh, I had an office in Guadalajara and I, I had a missionary say, I need to leave some TVs here and then some things that I brought in. Uh, I'll just use your office and leave them here. I said, no, you won't. You're not, you're not bringing them in my office. You, 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 you. No, sir. Had a guy come to me and another friend of mine. We were both pilots. And I was young. I was only 24. And uh, we were both pilots. And <clears throat> he said, uh, this, 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 this Mexican guys came in. And they said, uh, look, you guys are pilots and have an airplane. And uh, we want to move some gold around. And they said, now, it's, it's not illegal to move gold from one place in Mexico to another place in Mexico. They said, what's illegal is taking it into the states. And they said, that's what we're going to do is take it into the states, but you guys aren't going to do it. We just want you to fly it to the border, land in a Mexican town inside Mexico on the, you know, on the border, and leave it there, and then we'll pick it up and take it into the states. So what you're doing is not illegal. And that's going to give us a bunch of money to, to do this. And uh, I said, absolutely not, absolutely not. And my, my other buddy who owned the plane, <clears throat> he kept thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And uh, he'd say, well, you know, Terry, it's not illegal. It's not illegal. What, what they're asking us to do is illegal. And I said, but Bernie, it's, 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 it's a chain of illegality. It's, we're, we're, we're in the chain of being illegal. You know, we're, we're helping them. We're helping them. We're furthering the... And uh, finally one day he said to me, he said, Terry, I've just been thinking about it. I can't get it off my mind. I, I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to do it. And I said, okay, buddy, but I said, I'm out. I said, I'm not flying with you anywhere. And I said, you just remember when you're up there about 18,000 feet and you got that load of gold and you're just flying along and, and, and a big angel shows up in front of you and has a big monkey wrench and starts unscrewing the propellers. And I said, then you'll remember this probably wasn't a good idea. But I just determined I'm not going to break the law for personal gain. But for the gospel, I am. They tell us we can't preach, I'm going to preach. They tell us we can't have a church, I'm going to have a church. But then again, I go to all these communist countries now for 53 years and meet with the underground church. And I tell you what, I, I, I'm disappointed in Americans 
who used to say, oh man, I, I, I tell you, if I'd been in Nazi Germany, I'd have stood up. Oh, really? You folded like a cheap suit during COVID. <laughs> w- would, we, would we do things at the risk of our lives like the Bible guys did? Or like the people in Vietnam do? Or North Korea? Or China? Or Russia? Or Ukraine, those 70 years Ukraine was under communism? Or, or the 50 years that Romania and Bulgaria and, and, and Czechoslovakia and Poland, and all, the, the 50 years they were under communism? They had to meet in the underground church at risk of their lives. You know, I had the Pentagon contact me a few years ago. <coughs> Excuse me, President Bush was still the president then. And the Pentagon contacted me, the head guy, the Pentagon. They said, Dr. Myers, I've checked your security clearances, and when you were in the military, your, your, your clearances are still good. I said, well, I didn't know that. And they said, uh, we have a proposition for you. And I said, what's that? So we, we want you to come to Afghanistan and Iraq, and we will fly you into combat zones, into hot zones, and let you out to minister to the troops. They said, we're not talking about a USO show. We're not talking about behind the lines or in, in, in the green zone. We're talking about you'd fly commercially into Turkey, and we'll send a military transport to Turkey to bring you over, and then you have to suit up, and you have to put on the whole gear and bulletproof and blah, 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 and then we'll fly you in a Blackhawk from, from uh, front line to front line to front line to hot zone to hot zone to hot zone and let you out, let you minister to the troops, and we'll take you to another place. And it's highly dangerous, and you could be killed. And uh, would you do that? I said, in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat, man, let's do it. And so they kept trying to make it work. But it was right at election time. It was right at election time. And uh, when they had the election and Mr. Obama won, uh, <clears throat> within three weeks they called me back and said, said, Dr. Myers, it's off. Said Mr. Obama wouldn't, wouldn't there's no way, he, Mr. Bush would approve that. And Mr. Obama won't do it. And they said, we can still let you go like a USO show and, and, and go in the green zone and, and preach. Uh, if if you want to, I said no, no. I said I, I'd do the other, but I, I'm not I'm not interested in that. But uh, would would we do things at the risk of our lives? You know, the last three times I've been in Thailand, the, the Buddhist army, 100,000 strong, sent me personal death threats and said, "You tell Terry Myers if he comes out here, we'll kill him." And the first time I sent him a message back and said, "You tell him I'm coming in the name of Jesus, and Buddha can't kill me." And the next time I said, "You tell him I'm coming in the name of Jesus, and Buddha can't kill me." And the third time I was over there, and they sent me, you tell Terry Myers, if he comes out here, we'll kill him. I said, send them this message back. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You told me three times you're going to kill me. You hadn't done it yet. And if you're going to do it, you better get you some help, because I got more with me than you would do with you. You've only got 100,000 strong. And, uh, you know, we, we, that's what the Bible is. You can put yourself in danger uh, naturally, and expecting God to protect you to get the gospel to people. David's mighty men of valor. When David said, oh man, I wish I had a drink of water from the well. Three of his guys, the Bible says, broke through the lines. And when they broke through, I mean, they just walked over and had a nice time. They, they broke through enemy lines and got him a drink from the well. And when they brought it back to him, he said, well, I won't even drink this. I didn't know you guys were going to put your life at risk. I didn't, so he poured it out. So I'm going to pour it out as an offering to the Lord. But... Uh, you know, this breaking the law stuff, we need to be very careful about that to where uh, we, we, we watch out that we better obey God rather than man. I said we better obey God rather than man. So anyway, what do we have here in Acts chapter 16? We have a missionary call from the heathen. The heathen can't help themselves. They don't know how to get saved. 
It takes a Christian to get them saved. That's why he said, please come over here and help us. They needed a man of God to come over there and get them saved. So we had a missionary call from the heathens and come help us. Because they can't help themselves. They can't save themselves. It takes a Christian. Y'all still here? Number three. We have a missionary call from hell. We have a missionary call from the heathen. And we have a missionary call from heaven. Five times Jesus gives us the Great Commission. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Five times. When Jesus resurrected from the grave, he only spent 40 days with his disciples. I call it the last 40 days. I think a good book title, wouldn't it? The last 40 days uh, that Jesus spent with his disciples. And uh, I remember as a teenager, I thought, man, Jesus only spent 40 days with his disciples before he went to heaven. And he knew, they didn't know, but he knew he'd never see them again until they died and come to heaven. So, so I know he would have said what he was going to say, told them what he's going to tell them in that last 40 days. That's what I do when I leave home, when I'm leaving for a mission trip to India or Africa or someplace around the globe. I tell my, my family, my kids, my wife, my staff what I want done while I'm gone. Here's what I expect while I'm gone. I want you to do this and this and this and this while I'm gone. Well, that's what Jesus did. So, man, I immediately got excited and got a note paper and pencil, and I ran over to Matthew, the end of Matthew, and started reading from the Garden of Gethsemane to the end of the book, and I thought, I'll just write down whatever Jesus said to him to do, and I'll be ahead of the game here. And he only said one thing specifically in the whole 40 days that Matthew bothered to write down, and it was the Great Commission, get the gospel to the world. Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18, Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All power is given me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. So Jesus gave them the Great Commission. Now, sadly, in the last 25, 30 years, <clears throat> somebody in the church, I don't know who, I'd slap them if I knew who it was, but somebody in the church uh, took Matthew 28 and rearranged it and, and said what Jesus really said was, go make disciples. I'm sure y'all have heard that over and over and over and over and over. Well, nobody in the church for the last 2,000 years ever said that. Everybody said just what Jesus said. Go, go, go into all the world and teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. So they won't go to hell. Isn't that right? And uh, making disciples is fine. I don't care if you make disciples or not. I hope I'm making some today. But that's, that's teaching the talk. That's preaching to Christians. Nothing wrong with preaching to Christians. I'm doing that today. I'll do it tomorrow at Foothill. But that's not missions or that's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is rescuing people from hell, going and getting sinners saved. So I'm always, you, if you ever see any of my programs or read my newsletters or any of that other kind of stuff, you always hear me say, are we reaching the lost or are we just teaching the talk? Nothing wrong with teaching the talk. We need the church. We need to teach and talk. But that's not the mission. That's not the purpose. The purpose Amen. is reaching the lost. We need to teach the talk so they'll go reach the lost. Amen. 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 So one thing he said to him in Matthew, so I wrote it down, get the gospel to the world. So I went over to Mark. I read the end of Mark. Mark 16, 15 through 18, he said to them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes is baptized shall be saved, and he that believes not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. And then he listed those 
those signs. Only one thing in Mark he said to him in the whole 40 days, and I was astonished to realize it was the same thing, the same one thing that he said in Matthew. So I went over to Luke. Of course, Dr. Luke wasn't with him. He didn't run around with Jesus. He came along later. He's a medical doctor. He came along later. And so he wrote Luke based on the interviews with the other disciples uh, and other people around. He wrote Luke based on that. And then he wrote the book of Acts based on his own experiences traveling around with the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so Dr. Luke said it like this in Luke 24, 47. He said that repentance and remission of sins be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So we have the Great Commission in the book of Luke. The only one thing that Jesus said in the whole 40 days that they told Dr. Luke about that he wrote down was the Great Commission. And then you get over to John and you go to read it all, the end of it of John and start in chapter 20, verse, uh, John, excuse me, John 20 starting at uh, verse 21 and then verse 23, Jesus said unto them, peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you, the Great Commission. And then he says, And whoever sins you remit, they'll be remitted to them. And whoever sins you retain, they are retained. The last place, the, the fifth place, is the book of Acts, where you find about those 40 days. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost part of the earth. So five times Jesus, we see those 40 days, and five times he only told him one thing, and five times the one thing was the same one thing in all the other places. So the only thing Jesus said to him of note, now sure he told him a lot of stuff in those 40 days, but the only thing that got put in the Bible that the Holy Ghost thought was important was get the gospel to the world. Get the gospel to the world. And now notice, I'll show you now that it's not just teaching the taught or making disciples. He's talking about heaven or hell. He's talking about eternal salvation because in Mark he says, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Damned to where? Damned to hell. For how long? For eternity. So he's not talking making disciples here. He's talking about rescuing people from hell. Then in Luke, that, that repentance and remission of sins. He's talking about salvation, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So he's not talking about making disciples. He's talking about winning the lost. And then in John, he said, whoever sins you remit, they'll be remitted, and whoever sins you retain, they'll be retained. He's not talking about teaching the lost. He's talking about sinners and getting them saved. And then, of course, in Acts, you see the Holy Ghost, and you'll be a witness all over the world, not only Jerusalem, but the rest of the world as well. Get the gospel to the world. So we have a missionary call from hell. We have a missionary call from the heathen. And we have a missionary call from heaven. So every believer, every church, and every individual believer must be involved in missions, in soul winning, in getting the gospel to the world. Now, I preach for 53 years. You're either a goer or a sender. Either you go yourself or you send somebody else. You know, I tell people, if you either go eat worms yourself or send somebody else in your place. It's just, you know, I've eaten worms and dog and cat and rat and monkey and and all kinds of bugs, insects, snakes. I've eaten all kinds of stuff around the world. Not because I like it, it's just because that's what they eat where I am trying to get them saved at. And um, I, I've got this one lady, the partner of mine, she's in South Dakota. And she's partnered with me for years and years and years and years and years. 
and, and I think she sent me, I think it's $20 a month, and she, and she told me all those years ago, she said, if you'll go eat my worms for me, then I'll support you. I'll send you money every month if you'll go eat my worms for me. I said, I'll do it. I'll do it. You, you send me the money, I'll go eat the worms. And, uh, and that's what partnership's about, and that's what, that's what uh, missions is about. And that's why we, we uh, uh, if you're God looking at the harvest field in the world, and you're seeing the United States, just one twentieth of the world's population, seeded and seeded and seeded and seeded and reseeded with the gospel. While 1920s goes without, it's just not fair. It's just not right that we've got the gospel and the rest of the world doesn't. Now, America's getting to where they don't have the gospel anymore. For many, many, many decades, people would say to me, Brother Terry, why don't you preach in the States? Because, you know, it's, it, it, it needs missions too. And I always say, nah, the United States isn't a, isn't a heathen country. A heathen somebody's never heard. The United States is just full of Christ rejectors. They've heard it and don't want it. But now we're getting to the point where it's actually a heathen nation where people literally haven't even heard, uh, which is a shame. And I and I lay that I lay that fault at the foot of the church too because, uh, you know, when I was a boy we had revivals you know one week two week three week six week revivals night after night after night after night we had Sunday morning service Sunday night service we had Wednesday service you know no and y'all can remember this in the United States there was no such thing as a school function on a Wednesday night or a little league or Boy Scouts or Girl Scout function on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday because everybody knew you go to church. And now all of a sudden these, these schools and teams work overtime to schedule everything on Wednesday and everything on Sunday. Uh, and, and the church went from having several week revivals back in the, back in the late 70s, early 80s to having three day seminars. And that's fine, you can preach a lot of stuff in three days. You can have a marriage seminar or Holy Ghost seminar or healing seminar, or prosperity seminar, gifts of the spirit seminar, just about any kind of seminar you want in three days. But then then about fifteen years ago we stopped doing that and just started and even got rid of our Sunday night services in church to where now we just have Sunday morning service. We used to laugh at the denominational churches for doing that. We'd say, Oh, they spend all those millions of dollars on those buildings and just use it for an hour on Sunday morning and now we do the same thing. Isn't that amazing? So we've had less church and less church and less church and less church and less church. And yet if you look at the condition of America, it's gone downhill and downhill and downhill and downhill. So I'm, I'm really believing, I say this all the time, but I really believe the day's coming to where the congregation, the sheep, are going to come to the pastor, the shepherd, not the other way around, but the people are going to come to the pastor and say, Pastor, we need more church. One hour a week isn't getting it. What we're doing isn't working. We need more church. And what we need today, folks, we need, we need pastors that are more afraid of God than they are of the congregation. And we need church and church and more church to turn this thing around. Because I tell you, this is not the America I grew up in. This is, you know, take it from one who's lived in all these, not lived, who's gone to all these communist countries for 53 years. You know, to be communist, and I've, I've watched this all over the world, to be communist, a country, uh, uh, communism has two enemies. So to turn a nation communist, you've got to eliminate those two enemies. And it's the church and the middle class. You've got to get rid of the church and you've got to get rid of the middle class. So last year in America, there's an all-out attack from the government on the church and an all-out attack on the middle class. And isn't it amazing how, how smart COVID is? Because they told us, they said, now you can go to Walmart. 
You can go to Home Depot. You can go to Lowe's. You can go to Costco. You can go to Sam's. You can go to Lowe's. You can go to any big box store and COVID won't bother you. But if you go to church, it'll kill you. And if you go to mom and pop store, it'll kill you. So we've had mom and pop stores closed down all over this nation. Many of them will never, never open up again. And we've had churches shut down that'll never open up again. Renee and I were in Lake Charles, Louisiana just a few weeks ago, and there's three major, big churches in Lake Charles that have never opened again since they closed down March a year ago. They've never opened again. And they, they announced the week we were there that they, they're done. They'll, they'll never open again. Now, don't take me wrong. Communist countries have churches. That, that's a misconception. But it's called a state church, and it's a state-sanctioned church to where the pastor preaches what they tell him to preach, and they have spies in the audience to tell if he gets out of line or getting out of its electronic surveillance. But, but uh, uh, so, so there are churches. Don't, 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 I'm not saying they're going to eliminate church in America. They'd love to, but they know they, they, know they can't. But they're telling us what to preach. They're already doing that. They're telling us what not to preach, just like they're telling the school system what not to teach. You know, Renee said something a year or two or three ago, whatever it was, that was so profound. She said, you know, when you're exposed to the truth and been taught the truth all the time, then it's easy to spot a lie. It's easy to spot a lie when you've known the truth. And then somebody gets up and tells a lie, and you wait, no, 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 no. So years and years ago, our kids were trained in three places. They were trained at home, they were trained at school, and they were trained at church. But church was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, youth services, blah, 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 blah. Most homes back in the, those old days had, had two parents and, and you didn't have the work schedule we have today. You know, back in those days you had one car. <laughs> and uh, nowadays everybody's got a car, mom, dad, kids, several of the kids got cars. I mean, you know, everybody's gone, everybody's busy, everybody has their own calendars, everybody has their own schedules. I mean, y'all ever try to see your grandkids? It's just crazy. You know, they've all got their own schedule, all got places to be, all got things to do. And uh, uh, and yet school would teach them, train them, things about God, things about the Bible. And then church. But you fast forward to our day today, and, and <clears throat> we're in a generation of the, what, what God calls the, genera- the, the fields of the fatherless. He said, don't get caught in the fields of the fatherless. We've got a fatherless generation today. We've got latchkey kids that are raising themselves. They don't even see their parents. And I understand that. you got to work and do what you got to do to make a living, pay the bills and feed the kids. But, but we've got single-parent homes. We've got, we've got kids raising themselves. And the Bible says plainly a child left to himself brings his mother to shame. And it's just true. It's just Bible. And, uh, and so the kids aren't taught at home anymore. You remember the old, old days you had grandparents taught the kids. Everybody lived on the farm. The grandparents taught the kids. The parents worked on the farm. Then everybody got older, and the kids became the parents, and the parents became the grandparents, and so the grandparents trained the kids, and the parents worked on the farm. And then World War I came along, and we sent all the men to fight. <clears throat> and when they came home from the war, a lot of those men said, hey, I've seen the neon lights and the painted women of France. I'm, I'm not going back on the farm. And so the home began to split up, and then World War II happened. World War II happened, we sent the men back over to fight again, and we took the women off the farm and sent them into towns to build airplanes and tanks and guns and rivets, and I mean, they, they supplied the ammunition, 
And so then when the war was over, then the men said, I've seen the painted women and I've seen the neon lights and I'm not going back. And the women said, hey, I learned how to live without a man and make my own money. And I can just have another roommate, a lady, and we can make twice, twice the salary. I'm not going back to the farm. And then grandparents got put in nursing homes and all of a sudden everything broke down. Y'all remember America the way it used to be? Yeah. But it all broke down to where we've got no, no turn. And so now they're telling us, don't teach this in church. And, and a lot of pastors are doing it. They're just doing what the government said. They won't teach stuff that the government says don't teach. And, uh, and then they forbid school to teach it. So school can't teach the truth. School teachers' hands are tied. So instead of being presented the truth, now they're presented an alternative and the kids growing up don't know the alternative is not the truth because they're being taught the alternative as truth. So it's in a mess. And so we, the church, have got to stand up and be the church. And we've got to say, right, we're teaching our kids the things of God. We're teaching the word. We're going to teach it and teach it. And if the government doesn't like it, that's too bad. We, we're, we're, you know, you have to remember there's a lot of scriptures in the Bible about kings. And so many church people, American church people, get fouled up with that because they try to equate those scriptures about the king uh, to our president or our politicians. And you can't do that. It's not the same thing. A king's a monarch. A queen's a monarch, and they'll reign forever. Right? You go to England and Queen Elizabeth's the queen, or you go somewhere else, and there's, I've been to all these nations around the world where there's queens or there's kings, and they're monarchs, and they'll, they'll, they've been monarchs for monarchy forever and will continue to be. And, and those scriptures apply there. But our politicians in America are, are the hired help. They're not kings. They're not kings. They're not royalty. They're not special. They're simply the hired help. We hire them. And we fire them. And I've had people say to me all these years, now, Brother Terry, don't judge. You shouldn't judge the president. You shouldn't judge the, the governor. You shouldn't. I say, it's my job to judge them. I'm an American. I'm a voter. That's what voters do. You take these, these people, you look at them, you judge them, and you vote for them. And if they don't do what you tell them to do, then you don't vote for them next time. You vote them out. Because they work for us. We don't work for them. Amen. I've got a sermon. I don't know if y'all have ever heard it or not, but I've got some tapes and stuff. But I've got a sermon called, called Don't Move the Post. Don't move the post. And God says, don't, don't be caught in the field of the fatherless, and don't move the ancient landmark that the fathers have set. And so for, God had the, had the old patriarchs in the Old Testament to put a pile of stones here, to drive a stake here, to put a post here, and then never touch that and never move it. And he said, you put it there so that in the days to come, the children will ask mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, what mean these stones? And one scripture says, even, even the children yet unborn will come and ask you, what mean these stones? And you tell them of the great facts of what God did for Israel. This is where he split the Red Sea. This is where we got water out of a rock. This is where he fed us with manna and, and quail. This is where we went across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. This is where God did this. This is where God, those things are sacrosanct. They're holy. They're unmovable. You can't touch them. And I've said as an American, my, our post is the Constitution. And as a Christian, our post is the Bible. And, and the founding fathers wrote the Constitution. And people tell us today, well, it's, it's a living document and it's, it's fluid and it changes with the time. No, it doesn't. We have the founding fathers didn't know we were going to have cars and they didn't know we were going to have an airplane. Doesn't matter. That, that's unmovable. Those fathers set the post 
and uh, we, we, we live by that. The Bible the same way. They say, oh, it's a, it's a fluid thing and it changes with the times and blah, blah. No, it doesn't. It, it, Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or tittle of this book will pass away. And then he go, went on to say, if you, if you change one, or you change anything in this book at all, you're in danger of hellfire. And yet we've got today the woke cancel culture that they want to cancel everything. And they want to get rid of history and pull down the statues. And God said, don't, don't move the ancient landmarks of the fathers of faith. They want to tear it all down, move it all, move the post. And then pretty soon the kids of this generation will say, well, well what are we supposed to believe? Well, what, well, well where's the post? Where? And even in church, they say, Pastor, if you'll just move the post here and accept this people, then it, you'd get more people. If you just move the post here, you'd get more young people. And if you move the post here, you'd get more of this. You, and pretty soon you come in church and say, where, where, where was the post? And then there's all these gray areas. That, do, do we even know what? No, no, we can't move the post. Can't change the word. Can't change the Bible. Doesn't matter who doesn't like it, what politician doesn't like it. It just doesn't matter. And... Uh, Presidents will come and go. We'll vote them in, vote them out. <laughs> Amen. Governors will come and go. We'll vote them in, vote them out. They're just a hired help. You're supposed to judge them, and you're supposed to deal with them, and uh, act accordingly. Amen. Well, did y'all get anything out of that? We've got three missionary calls. A missionary call from, from hell. A missionary call from the heat. And a missionary call from heaven. God had a dream when he built this place. He wanted a family. He's never changed his mind. He intended for Adam and Eve to live in the Garden of Eden and have their babies there. And pretty soon would have been born there. And he said, I'll come in the cool of the day and walk with you every day. And Adam and Eve messed that up. Well, just because they messed that up, it didn't change God's plan. He still wants a family. And I've said for many decades, this book is a missionary book. And I've had preachers make fun of me and say, well, Terry just over oversimplifies the Bible. Well, to me, it's real, real simple. To me, the Bible is that God put the kids, Adam and Eve, put the kids in the garden last week. Because the days of a thousand years with the Lord, he didn't have a calendar. He didn't tell time. The days with a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. So he put the kids in the garden last week and lost them. And he's been looking for them ever since. And then he's going to find them in Revelation and take them home. And, it, and the Bible starts out with God saying, Adam, Eve, where are you? He's calling the kids. And then it ends in, Gen in Revelation 22 saying, Kids, come home. It's supper time. Come in. It's time for supper. Everybody come home now. And Revelation starts off saying, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. He's standing knocking. He's, he's still looking for the kids. And that's what the Bible's about. This whole book is about God wanting a family. Put them in the garden. Lost them. Working on getting them back all this time. Gave us the, gave us after, after Adam and Eve messed up. Gave them the, 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 the Old Testament. Gave them the, the Ten Commandments. Gave them the Old Testament. Gave them the priesthood. Gave them the temple. Gave them the synagogue. And then finally gave them Jesus. And then here we go from Jesus to now. And he's still looking for the kids. And then the day's coming when he's going to blow the horn and say, Y'all come home. It's summertime. And that's what this whole thing's about. And our job is to fulfill his dream. He wanted a family. Our job's to give him one. Amen? Amen. And we've got to be about the master's business. We've got to be involved in soul winning. I've always said if any church is not involved in mission, it's just out of the will of God. I don't care how good they sing, how much they prophesy, how many great programs they have. Make a difference. They're not involved in missions. They're, they're just missing God. 
And same way with the individual Christian. We all have to be involved in soul winning, either, either, either a goer or a sender. So we get to heaven, God's going to say, where are the sheaves to lay at my feet? And we can't say, well, I don't have any. We've got to say, oh, no, I'm here, here's the sheaves. I was involved in, in getting people saved around the world. Here's, here's the sheaves. We don't want to go to heaven empty-handed. Amen. Amen. Well, stand up with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word today. Thank you for ministering to us. Father, you, I really talked to you about this. I said, no, I just need to preach faith and give them some testimonies. And you kept leading me to minister on three missionary calls. So I have. And uh, I believe it's done what you want it to do. I believe it's gone into our hearts. That the Holy Spirit has turned the light on so we can see this is the truth. That the Holy Spirit's pricked our hearts, just like he pricked the hearts on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached in Acts chapter 2. And it says the Holy Ghost pricked their hearts and 3,000 people got saved. And then, Holy Spirit, I believe you to move on our will. You don't change our will, but you sure move on our will where we say, I will do that. I will do the will of God. So we thank you for it. We give you glory and honor and praise and majesty and dominion. Thank you that we're all missionaries. We're goers or we're senders, but we're about the master's business. And we're about fulfilling your dream and, and fulfilling your faith, giving you the family that you desire about your business, getting in purpose like your own purpose. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Thank you, Brother Terry. Yes, sir. Thank you. Can we give Brother Terry a hand? Thank you for coming. Amen, amen. Well, if you go to Brother Terry's website, terrymice.com, you can pick up his book and you can partner with him there and he'll send you a free book. I got my copy. And uh, this is Terry Nice in a nutshell, too. And if you want to continue with Terry, this is an awesome read. Uh, it was printed in 1979, I believe. So it's been over 40 years. 43 years old. 43, old, 43 years old. It's a classic now. It's about a story in Mexico. Everything's in here. It's a great book. You've got to get one. And uh, we're going to take up our offering for Brother Terry. And just mark that you like to give to him. That would be awesome on your offering envelope. So thank you for partnering. Thank you for supporting. I was just giving one more round of applause. Thank you for coming and being a part of us. And Miss Renee for singing and blessing us as well. That was awesome. We love you guys. And we're going to write one big check to Terry and Miss Renee. So just make it out to Elisha Mark Ministries and just label what you want to give to them. And we'll make sure we get it to them. We're pretty good at getting the money. So I, I wouldn't even mind driving down to Mexico if they were there or Oklahoma. I'll come on out. So. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Amen. So we can go back to Mexico. Amen. The gates are open. The gates are open in Jesus' name. So, Father, we pray over this offering in Jesus' precious name. We thank you that it comes back to us. Good measure. Press it down and shaken together and running over. Like you said, we stand on a 30, 60, 100 fold return. And we sow into the mission field. We sow into souls in Jesus' precious name that the senders and the reapers get blessed together yes. when we get to heaven. Equal due rewards and partnership. Thank you for that power of partnership. We sow into this man of God, this woman of God. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you all for being with us today. Happy Saturday. You survived the turbulent heat in Southern Orange County. Congratulations. <laughs> we love you guys and be blessed. Happy Saturday. Bye. Hi. We love you. Something on the way out.
Nice to see you again.